It's time for To The Last Drop Podcast with Liam Delcom and Brendan Nell. In today's show, we look at the Springbok team to play Argentina at Ellis Park on Saturday. We will look ahead uh, to that test uh, at Ellis Park, the final one for the Springboks in the Rugby Championship. We also have an interview with seasoned Argentine journalist Frankie Deges. And we will end off today's show with a little chat around Malbec, uh, that wonderful wine from uh, the western part of Argentina um, that has provided so much pleasure to travelers to that part of the world. Yeah, let's get right into it. Um, interesting team that Jock uh, picked nine nine survivors from uh, from Loftus Fersfeld and nine changes from Auckland. Uh, a team that, to me, at first glance, when I saw the two scrum caps in the back three, uh, Cheslin and, and Kirtley, I thought, geez, the, and then I saw Marnie and Grant Williams, and I thought, geez, this is a team that's going to run run the leather off the spark consider. Yeah, certainly a couple of interesting selections. Uh, if you say nine changes, it always sounds like the coach is uh, reaching for something or, or maybe he's trying to admonish certain people. Uh, I don't think that's the case in this test. Uh, obviously, it's that part of the build-up to Rugby World Cup where combinations will be tested. Uh, certain players' battle readiness will be put to the test. Um, and I think we, we're seeing that in, in this particular selection. Um, if you make nine changes... It can be quite disruptive, as we've seen before, but of course there is method to the madness in that you know there are only now four tests left before the Rugby World Cup kicks off, and only two tests left before the Rugby World Cup team is announced. Yeah, and I think that's the thing we've got to keep in mind. is It's it's one of those things where you shouldn't read too much into it. I know Jacques was at great pains today at the press conference. We were, after, we were recording this just after the team announcement. And, uh, yeah, he, he made quite clear that they're trying to spread the load, is, is his word, uh, where it's trying to get as many minutes across the entire squad. Of course, yeah, obviously there'll always be exceptions. There'll always be certain players who get a few more minutes than others. And uh, I think what they've done is they've gone with a very strong pack, uh, you, you, you see guy like Marnie LeBock and Grant Williams coming in, but there is a lot of, a lot of experience around them. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see a Dwayne Vermeulen at eight and, and not that he shouldn't be there anyway. I mean, he's got a good claim to the position anyway as captain. Uh, and Damon Delender at 12. And I know a lot of people probably ask why not Andre Estazen, but I think, uh, Damon being there next to an inexperienced flyoff, uh, you know, is probably a very good thing at this moment. Absolutely. I think the experience thing is important, especially uh, when you sort of isolate the halfback situation where we have two inexperienced halfbacks in Grant Williams and Marnie Lubbock. Um, but then you sort of juxtapose that to what we have in the forward pack and you look at the front row with uh, combined caps there between uh, Franz Malerbe, uh, Malcolm Marx uh, and Stephen Kutsov where they tally uh, almost 200. So... You know, there are cert- certain pe- uh, positions that have been fortified. Um, and, you know, at, in the back line, I suppose they will have to be at some point, uh, uh, the accent will have to be on a little bit of inexperience because you need to test players. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. Yeah, the, the, the thing to me was, I mean, even when you look at that, it's, it's an inexperienced centre combination as well. Even though, I mean, Jesse Creel has got, you know, 60-odd tests and Damien's probably on this bit more than that. And, yeah, they haven't played together as a combination as much. But, uh, yeah, there's another thing I thought, let me let me test this, Liam. I mean, there's a lot of people out there on Twitter and uh, 
or whatever Twitter's called nowadays, who, who seem to sort of question the the the, the selection of Jesse Krill. Um, but I don't think people quite understand the, the, the reasons why he's selected. I mean, other than his versatility, he can play fullback, um, wing and centre. He's a great team man and he's an exceptional defender at 13, which is probably the, the most difficult place to defend on the field. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, uh, I was uh, playing golf earlier today and even at the golf course, there were people uh, wanting to to discuss that number 13 jersey and, and, and Jesse's inclusion. And the simple fact is that the, the guy has a lot of experience in that position. Uh, he has served the Springboks well. Uh, as the coaches, I don't want to sound like one of the coaches, but they it's one of those things that they always say. It's one of those cliched things where they say they know what they have in that particular player. Uh, he also comes with a lot of IP in terms of what he's done uh, for the Springboks in that position. Um, and you mentioned his versatility. Uh, you know, he's always going to be a useful player to have, um, you know, in, in, a, in a squad environment. And, and we've seen that in the past. I mean, he doesn't grab the headlines uh, every time he plays, but he does tick most of those boxes. Yeah, and I think I think something was maybe being misunderstood a lot of the time. But I, I hear a lot from fans as well who talk to me and talk to me on social media as well about what about Andre Estes? And I think there's a misconception uh, you know, there that Jesse is taking Estes in his place. And no. I think people must realize Andre Estes is a, is a twelve, um, and no. and that's his favorite position. Plus. Yeah, he's not a guy who's overly experienced, and I think Damien Delenda has earned his right in that place. He's won a World Cup in the 12. There's no reason to drop him. But I think people sometimes get it wrong that they think Jesse's competing with with Andre Estes in that place, where and in fact he's competing with uh, yeah with 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 Damien Delenda. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, it, 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 it comes back to when a Springbok team is named, you don't necessarily, or the coaches don't necessarily go for what is the sort of form 15 when it comes to the starting lineup. They always see a bigger picture and they will make their selections based around that. And obviously this is a World Cup year, so you will find situations where uh, starting lineups uh, are, are put together based on you know, the journey forward. And I think we see it again in, in this particular squad. So, uh, you know, those days of where the, uh, the notion of the best potential or the best form 15 uh, playing each test, uh, I'm sorry, but those days are over. Yeah, and plus, I mean, you've got to think of the World Cup. If you look at the last two World Cups, there were two injuries in the first two games. Um, you know, we had to replace players. So, I mean, that's where the squad system comes in a lot more. And, the, and you want a squad of 30-odd players who can slot in. The, in Well, the perfect world is to have a squad that anybody can play at any time and you don't lose anything. And I think that's, I mean, coaches always strive for that. They don't always get it. but um, And you do have superstars. But... Yeah, I think that's where the box are going. And if you look at the depth that they've created over the past few years, yeah, they, they've done pretty well. And I think people forget sometimes this is a coaching team that won a World Cup. Um, yeah, they've yeah. sort of earned the right to 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 back their own decisions, and uh, that's why. I mean, I, I'm sometimes the kind of there's always there's always banter around the Springbok squad, and there's always people who want to yeah want their own favorite player in and you can understand that but I, I think the, the the big question I think when I saw that squad the one question that jumped into my head was you know while it's extremely exciting and Ellis Park is a fast pitch and if that backline gets going we're going to see some amazing rugby um the the one question that immediately comes to mind is 
In terms of the two scrum caps on the wing, uh, yeah, they, they're both not the tallest guys. Uh, they, 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 I mean, not that I'm the tallest guy as well as you, Liam. I mean, no offense, but, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 if I was Argentina, the first thing I would do is, uh, and especially given the way the box handled the, uh, the ball in, in, in Auckland and the high ball, uh, yeah, I would kick, you know, bombs on them all day and see if you can get them. Luckily, they're two very brave players, so I'm, I'm not too concerned, but I think that would definitely be somewhere they target. Yes, it's, I think it's something we can expect, but it's also one of those things that uh, if you were going to go into a World Cup, into a big tournament like that, uh, you would want to test those players, uh, you know, if there are question marks about a particular element of their game. Um it has to be put to the test somewhere. And if it's, if in this case, it happens to be the Springboks last home test, uh, before they go to the World Cup, um, then so be it. Um, but there will be great expectation from the, you know, from people in the stands that the box do well and that they set sail for the World Cup, um, you know, with, with a, um, uh, confidence boosting win under the belt. So, you know, whatever Argentina throws at them, they need to weather the storm and then stand up to that challenge. Yeah, I think just a side note as well, which interesting little thing, which I didn't even realize, but this is uh, Jacques Ninaba's last home test, last test on South African soil as a Springbok coach. And uh, when you think where this, where he's come from, and uh, he spoke a bit about it when he said he started in 2004 with the national teams, 2011 with the Springbok team where he was helping in Peter de Villiers coaching team. Um, yeah, it's a long journey and it's, it's weird if you think it's coming to an end on Saturday, Sunday, Saturday. It, it, it is. Uh, it's kind of snuck up on us in in, in some ways. Uh, he's had an interesting career with the box. Uh, it, it's, if you look at the period since uh, twin, start of twenty twenty when he became coach, obviously a year was lost due to due to COVID. Um, there was the series against British and Irish Lions that, that happened to be successful in the end. Um, he's actually had a decent record given the time that the box have lost. And it's one of those things that it might be worth asking him, um, you know, so before he disappears to to Dublin, uh, whether he feels that, you know, what he has done as head coach, whether people value it or value it in the way maybe, you know, was he, was he basically what I'm trying to say is, was he appreciated enough, um, you know, as, as head coach of the Springboks? Because obviously he has a, uh, a record that, that spans uh, a number of years, you know, with, with uh, within the box setup, uh, and it's only been the last three or so years that it's been as head coach. So um, I just get the sense sometimes that the people tend to question him and like question his credentials, um, which yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate uh, because well, he's, he's earned these stripes. Yeah, I think he has, and I think unfortunately he's come along as a package with Rossi most of the places. Yeah, so a lot of people maybe see him as being in Rossi's shadow, but we. Where anybody who's worked with him will know that he's he's a lot mm. more intense and a lot more you know detailed than that, and the players respect him. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think that's really a question from anybody who's around the box. But you can understand yeah. some people outside still question that, and it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's <laughs> it's a strange one because yeah, I think if any coach you get your first test series and it's the weirdest, strangest British and Irish lines to ever. <laughs> 
I don't think there's yeah. anybody. If if I know people watching at home probably thought that way, but I mean, I I, I can't remember if you were in the stadium there, Liam, in Cape Town. It was. I was. Yeah, yeah it was eerie. It was. Yeah, it was, just, it was the strangest, weirdest feeling there, and, and yeah, you can feel for any coach who's gone through that, and. Uh, yeah, he's. We hope to get him on the show at some point so that we can chat to him um, about that. But uh, you know, he's earned his stripes, as you say. You're with Liam Delcom and Brendan Nell on the To the Last Drop podcast. Our next guest is a good old mate of ours. Um, we both spent several nights together um, and several rugby tours together across the world. Uh, I know I've spent a number of nights in a place like Dubai for the Dubai Sevens with him. He's Argentina's uh, w- most well-known and handsomest. Uh, Doyan, I think, is the word. Doyan, yeah. Frankie Degas. So yeah, we, here's our chat with him. Guys, we're joined now by, uh, as, as he describes himself, the, the most handsome journalist in Argentina, uh, Frankie Degas. Uh, Frankie, welcome. Welcome to our pod. Yeah, I didn't say the most handsome. I just said a handsome journalist from Argentina. But uh, yeah, I take I take the credit. <laughs> well, we've seen we've seen a few others, Frankie. So we're saying you're the most handsome. So don't worry about that. Thanks. Well, so we can talk love... again towards the end of the conversation, and we could yeah revisit that <laughs> that statement. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, Frankie. Yeah, the, obviously the, uh, the the Pumas are in Joburg this week. Uh, they had a wonderful win against. Uh, the, Eddie Jones is Australia. How did that go down in Argentina, especially after that first week loss against the All Blacks? Well, that was a definite change of wind. Uh, we were all quite, uh, I wouldn't say surprised, but uh, scared from what we had seen of the team against the All Blacks in the opening weekend. And then they, I mean, the travel involved was huge. They were like 26 hours on the air, just going from one place to the other. Air travel for Argentinians has become a, a nightmare. Uh, so I think they jumped on a they jumped on a charter flight with the All Blacks through Santiago, Chile, through Auckland, and then uh, made it to Kuji, which is a bit of a second home to Los Pumas. And uh, they just recovered very well, and they played very well. I think uh, they had a they had a good game. They had it won. They could have lost it. They won it in the end. Uh, they showed that they could play some rugby, and basically they showed also the result that they hadn't showed in Mendoza. So so that is that is. Good uh, to know that it is there. Take uh, Michael Chico, the coach, is toying a bit with with availabilities, with return from injuries, with players not having played for a number of months. The the problem for Argentine rugby is that uh, we're based in the Southern Hemisphere, but our players play in the Northern Hemisphere. You guys have have, have sorted it out by playing in the Northern Hemisphere. So... There are challenges involved and there are very few games. So the two next games against the Springboks are going to be extremely important to have a clearer idea of who's in line to play, uh, what they want to play, uh, how they want to play it, and, um, and just give us clues on, on how much we, we're going to raise our hopes for the World Cup. We got a real sense that Argentina uh, really undercooked uh, against the All Blacks, and it's obviously one of the, the teams you don't want to go in undercooked against. I mean, it's that that's just not done. Um, it, it, it did seem a, a remarkable transformation, though, especially when you consider the the travel that you just explained. That they were able to sort of turn that around so quickly. Um, but you know, what what do you put that down to? I think it's it's time as a team. They for the second game they had basically two full weeks two full weeks together, which they hadn't had. They only flew into Mendoza on the on the Sunday, you know. Although they had had some informal training sessions together, and uh, players 
keep fit. It's not like it, it was, uh, I mean, they just popped in for the first training session on the Monday, but uh, they hadn't been training as a squad. They hadn't been training as a team. And say the scrum half, um, he hadn't played since January. Uh, the winger, uh, he, the, the one that was going to play was injured. They brought someone else. They had players that were not playing in their original positions. It, it was it was tough. I mean, we should have seen it kind of coming, but the way that they were beaten in the first twenty minutes just showed that they were not even there, and and that was that was the sad part, or the the tough part to to understand. Uh, two weeks later, uh, two weeks training, two weeks together, they enjoy their own companies. They, they enjoy being together. They work well as as a squad. They got better. Uh, they stayed in Sydney after the game. They only flew to to South Africa. I think they flew in on Sunday. So they didn't have to fly home to fly to South Africa, which is today flying to South Africa is, is very hard. There are no direct flights. It's, it's, it's really uncomfortable. So probably they made the sensible thing. Now it's just they're ready. They just need to get through jet lag, which is part and parcel of what you do at this day and age. Yeah, frankly, I was going to say, I mean, just in terms of the bigger picture, I mean, we've obviously spoken a lot about the other side of the World Cup draw. Yeah, the top four teams in the world in the same side of the draw. Uh, Argentina on the other side, they must be looking at that World Cup draw and, and saying, well, look, if, if they get a couple of things going right, then, uh, yeah, it could be quite a, quite a good, good, uh, walk towards the, the semifinals for them. And then hopefully further. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, it's, it's what, and that, that is something that the, the coaches stress. It's one game at a time because if you don't win the first game, you're going to a second game with a different scenario. You don't win the second game, it's the third and whatever. Yes, England, we don't know where England is at the moment. We really don't know. Um, they should be a team uh, that is maybe probably on par with us or maybe a step ahead in their development. But if we have... The good win on our sales, that first game in Marseille could be great. It's going to be a, an incredible first weekend in Marseille with with England playing Argentina and then the next day is Scotland against the Springboks. So uh, just just from a fan's perspective, from an everything perspective, that's going to be incredible. But that first game is a bit like the first game in, in Japan, 2019. They did make it against France by, okay, by half an inch, penalty kick, whatever. Uh, and then it just became harder and harder. I believe we should be able to beat Samoa and we should be able to beat Japan. Japan lost against Samoa the other day. Now Japan is in the top 10. No, sorry, Samoa is in the top 10. Japan is 12th in the, in the world. So we do have three top 10 sides in, in our, in our pool. Frankie, just, uh, just obviously turning back to Joburg now. Um, yeah, I suppose they, after the win, there's going to be a bit of expectation there. But I mean, Argentina's record in, in, in Johannesburg. Hasn't been great on the high felt. In fact, hasn't been great over the, the last couple of years. Um, yeah, it's it's a very fast Lifet field. The, the last the last lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do you see? I think we're all changing that. I think we've only won there in 1965. I've, uh, I mean, I, I don't have the records in front of me, but uh, Ellis Park is very important to Argentine rugby, and that it was where we beat the Junior Springboks in 1965, and that generated what came in the in the in the future in the following years. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a comfortable uh, place. For, I mean, we've only beaten the Springboks in South Africa once, and that was in Durban. So let, it's it's not the venue. It's it's the opponent, I think. 
if we if we look at Argentina's results um, over the last, I'd say, decade, well, but maybe a bit less. I mean, there's wins against South Africa a couple of times. There's even the draw against the Springboks. There are obviously wins over Australia. There are wins over the All Blacks. Um, and there's no there's no doubt um, that Argentina have taken giant strides over the last decade or so. How much do you attribute that uh, to rugby championship inclusion and what that has done uh, for rugby in Argentina? 110%. I mean, the only way you can beat these guys is if you play them regularly. Uh, we have played regularly. Second game of the rugby championship, 16-16 draw in Mendoza against the Springboks. Uh, then I think it took a few years before we could beat uh, Australia. Then we beat you guys in, in Durban. And eventually the All Blacks, which were the, the castle we could never take, they they lost in 2020 and 2022. So if you don't play regularly against that kind of opposition, it's it's very hard to, in a one-off, beat them. And, mm. and in fact, Argentine rugby... Um, and, and it's the sad demise of Super Rugby for us and for you guys. You guys found an alternative way which, which is working for you guys and we'll know more after the World Cup if, if it generated a, a World Cup winning team or not. Um, but we lost Super Rugby and with that the possibility of, again, have a, have a normal season in that you play in the Southern Hemisphere and you compete against Southern Hemisphere teams. Uh, we're trying to still work it out 2020 was different because players were mostly were unattached and, and they, it was a totally different thing. But now players are just leaving earlier and earlier to go to Europe. If, if you're going to chase your Puma dream, uh, that, that's where you want to be. And that's where you're competing at a higher level that allows you then to come back to play to, against your regular opponents and at least have a real opportunity of beating them. Then it's on the day, it's a win, it's a kick, it's a ref, it's a so many decisions. When Argentina beat the, the, the games Argentina won, they won, they deservedly won. So, so it wasn't a, a flash in the pan or whatever. It's consistency and that has been always an archives for Argentine rugby. How do you take it from week to week to week to week? Despite those obstacles, obviously you've you've played, you've produced results, solid results over the last while. Do you still find though that given the way world rugby is is run and structured, that there's almost always a, a struggle for uh, for recognition, um, and, and and also you know you, you've got the results that, that people take you seriously. I mean, do do you find that there are still those uh, those hurdles to cross? Yeah, but people can take can can not take you seriously at their own peril. I believe I believe no, I'm sure the teams they know they're playing against Argentina and they prepare to play against Argentina and they don't like yeah. playing against Argentina. So I mean at the end of the day we can talk and write whatever we want, but uh it's not what uh what Cheka or whoever is is preparing a test match will read. I mean they'd be looking at the stats, they'd be looking at the opposition stats, they'd be looking at a different set of information that doesn't doesn't take into account if if we played them thirteen times and lost five, or if uh, whatever. So at the end of the day, recognition peers recognize the Argentine players. Peer coaches recognize Argentina as uh, as a team they don't enjoy playing. 
Frankly, mm. I, I want to turn to to something else. Um, on this pod, we we obviously speak a lot of rugby, but the other thing we speak about is wine. Um, and and knowing you you a man like us, you 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 like to put some 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 red meat on a fire, and uh, just like most Argentinians and South Africans. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you have a favorite Malbec. Do you tell us w- what would your favorite wine be, and what should South Africans look out for? I'm so sorry, mate. I can't help you on that one. I'm a teetotaler, oh, and I've always been. <laughs> oh, God. I don't. I don't have a sad story of uh, alcoholism or being being beat up by my father when he was drunk or whatever, and that's why I don't drink. I've never drunk. I've never liked alcohol, uh, and and it's it's a sad it's it's a sad part of my story, uh, my life story. I just don't drink. I've never drank, and I don't enjoy it. My wife might be of some help, but uh, she drinks for both of us. I can act a, a very good drunk, but I, but I I don't drink. Oh dear. In that case, in that case, tell us about um, the, the steak that we we come across fairly often in Argentina, the the bife de chorizo, I think it is. Beef, um, beef chorizo. Beef. Bifichiriso. Is is that the the sort of best known cut uh, in Argentina? Yeah, I like I like when I put it on the parrilla on the, the barbecue. I like the sirloin, the lomo. Okay, because uh, yeah. that gets uh, that's that's always tasty. But I mean, it's like it's like soccer. Different people have different cuts, and they die for that cut. And I mean, I had I had a barbecue yesterday, as as you do on, but I. It's my first Sunday barbecue because of rugby. Uh, my kids still play on Sundays, but uh, so they had the weekend. Also, we had a big barbecue with some friends, and then we had one, two, three, four, five different cuts of uh, of meat. So you just you just go through the whole set, and and you might like this one a bit more. So give me two pieces of that or whatever. But what, what's most important of, of our asado, and it's with your bride, it's it's a whole. Uh, ceremony of it. It's sitting down with mates, turning the fire on, just throwing stuff. It takes time. We don't, we don't, we don't do it quickly. It might take a couple of hours to, from the moment you light your match till you sit down and have lunch. And that whole process, you don't do it alone. People start coming in, they bring some cheese, they bring some, some, uh, charcuterie or whatever. They start with the one. I go with the water, unfortunately. And, it's just conversation and fun and and throwing life uh, out in in a in a philosophical way. Oh, absolutely. I mean that that's that's how we build bridges and build friendships. I suppose. I mean, it's it's it's, it, it's what I always saw, say. It's what I always say. We talk about everyone, every one of world's problems, and we solve no one. <laughs> but we we go through every problem. We we've done that a couple of times. I must admit, I can't wait to 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 uh, get to see you guys again, Frankie, and uh, and yeah, then hopefully we'll share a piece of meat somewhere. But uh, hopefully it should be sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's it's always a pleasure, mate. And uh, and you know my my phone is is open whenever you need. No, cool, Dave. I'm I'm good for them. Uh, yeah, I think uh, let's just say thanks thanks to Frankie for his time and uh, uh, go Pumas. Not this weekend, but at the World Cup. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks, Frankie. And hopefully I'll see you in um, in Provence. That would be extremely nice to see you here, there, over there, wherever. But it's it's always it's always good fun. 
Liam, the one the one thing I think one big regret in my life is I've I've never been to Argentina. I somehow missed every single rugby tour to Argentina, uh, and it ended up mostly in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. But for some reason, always uh, I've been to Brazil for for holidays, but uh, I've got to get to Argentina. And the one reason why, of course, is because there's that wonderful wonderful vintage of theirs called Malbec. And now we're obviously not talking about Afrikaans people who uh, maybe had a few, yeah. a few too many. We're talking about uh, the, the red wine Malbec. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's one of the absolute beauties of touring Argentina because, uh, like us, apart from the uh, love of rugby, they also like a, a good red meat or a good steak, um, and they like the red one. In their case, it's, it's Malbec is very much the one they go for. And I've been fortunate enough to be or to go to Malbec a country, which is very much uh, in the west of Argentina, on the slopes of the, or the foothills of the Andes in, in Mendoza, uh, with the Springboks. I think the first rugby championship uh, game against Argentina was um, in, well, away game, that is, uh, was in Mendoza. So, uh, yeah, spent a week there, uh, ate steak, I think, four times that week and consumed the local uh, product. So it, was, like it truly is an experience, and it's it's one that rugby fans who, who love a bit of food and drink that they should experience. So, I mean, let's, let's quickly touch on Malbec. What, what makes it different to other ones? In some ways, it's like it's it's got like a, it's plump and it's it's fruity um, and it's and it's a little bit smoky. Now you'll probably say that other wines have those characteristics as well, but then Malbec isn't for isn't necessarily for for everyone. Um, it's one of those grapes that it's susceptible to to pests and it's susceptible to to bad weather. So you can only grow it in certain regions. And Argentina is very fertile for or provides fertile soil for that. Um, I think seventy five percent of the world's Malbec is grown in Argentina. Uh, the USA, I think, is yields the second most, and South Africa only the, the third most. Um, so it's not it's not readily available. I mean, there are some decent South African Malbecs, um, but you you you'd also go into a wine shop where people tell you um, no, they don't they don't have Malbec because unless it comes from Argentina, they're not interested, which is probably not the right attitude to have. Um, but I've I've certainly had some decent local uh, Malbecs. Yeah, I think I think, and we we've got to be honest here. Normally, we'd be enjoying a glass of wine. Yeah, and this is this is a so we we on the Frankie's tea the thing we at the moment because I don't think yeah. any of us could find a good Malbec uh, as such, and we searched. Uh, so this is going to be our tea edition. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully not not the first of many, and hopefully the last one for a very long time. I absolutely agree with you. We should really pull up our socks. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I suppose we almost like the box under that high ball at the moment. We we de- we deserve to uh, have a reflection and to 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 uh, really look inward and yeah, enjoy some wine and just make sure that we're back on track at some point again. Absolutely, Malbec apparently is, is to be enjoyed uh, with uh, apart from red meat, obviously. Uh, with with things that have a funky flavor, something like blue cheese, for instance, oh. um, and it's yeah. Uh, but but I'd, I'd still I'd still very much go. Uh, you know, if if you have a Malbec, have some have some red meat with it. Are you saying we blue cheese at the moment? Um, yeah, we're very much in that territory, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but guys, that's the, I think that's it for us this week. Uh, you can maybe tune in again next week. We're going to have 
a good review of, of, of the Springboks' performance and what they're going to encounter in Argentina next week when they when they leave there as well, and how we're we looking for the World Cup. And also next week, uh, it's last chance saloon for those guys who hope to uh, you know catch the attention of the coaches and the selectors. Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.